American again. Living life. We live in a day and age that we just try to make it. We just try to muddle through. We, we live in a day and age that, that, that we, we don't truly live life anymore. Instead of living life, we're like a bunch of cattle. We go over here, and we go over here. And we go this way, and we go that way. And, and we, we think that we only have the ability to muddle through. But God has called us and made us for more. God did not make us just to survive. God did not make us just to exist. But God has made us to live life. I tell everybody all the time, you need to be sharing the good news. You need to be sharing the gospel. That word gospel means good news. How can we share the good news about the life of Jesus Christ if we have no life ourselves? Jesus was a man. And he lived and did miracles. And he died on a cross. He was buried in a grave. And on the third day, he rose again. That's good news, folks. But when we share it from a dead life, it becomes boring. But when we start living life, we understand that the good news is more like there's a man named Jesus. And Jesus walked on this earth. He healed the sick. He opened blinded eyes. He made the lame to walk. He called the dead up out of the grave. He had power. He had authority. He had, he had importance. He had a following. But one day, he laid aside his strength. And he allowed the government to arrest him. He stood a trial for nothing. He stood trial quietly and allowed them to punish him. He allowed 40 stripes to be put on his back so that the prophet would be fulfilled that said by his stripes I am healed. He allowed himself to be nailed to an old and he, was, he died on that cross. He was placed in a Oh, pastor, we can't all tell the story like that. But we can talk with some excitement. We can talk with celebration. I want you to open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Amen. Going to begin reading in verse number 25 of the New, of New King James Version. It says, Therefore... Putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. 
Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hand what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your power. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your anointing and for your peace. And Lord, I ask that you would send your victory. I ask that you would send your power. I ask that you would send your mercy, Lord, into our presence, into our, into our uh, hearts tonight. Lord, I want you to do a mighty work, Lord Jesus, a mighty work of your power, a mighty work of your mercy and your grace. And Lord, I pray that you would lead us. Lead me. Lead me to share the words that you have intended for me to share, the words that you have set aside for me today. Lord, because it is your work that I, that I seek. It is your power that I follow. Lord, I give you glory, I give you honor, and I give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. You may be seated this morning. I am convinced that we have wasted our lives. Sometimes people say, Pastor, why are you always so harsh? Why are you always so so angry in the pulpit. I'm not angry. I'm hurting. I'm hurting. I get depressed. I get depressed. I'll be over with you. I get upset. Sometimes I get outright angry. When I come to church... And people aren't there. It hurts. Oh, pastor, it's not important how many is here as long as we're here in the prayer. You're right. But every time I see people drop out of church, and I'm not talking about a snow day, but every time I see people that drop out, this becomes more important. That becomes more important. Strife comes in and separates. I start to understand that unless they allow God to grab a hold of their life, unless you allow God to grab a hold of your life, heaven is not your destination. 
I hurt. I struggle when I come to the house of God and I see those that are here. We have no life. We have no joy. We have become a generation that our number one phrase is, I'm exhausted. I'm just tired. Hell, I'm making it. You know why I do very few uh, uh, testimony services? We do them now as part of our prayer service, first Sunday night of every month. Do you know why I do very few of them? Because I got sick of them. I got sick of people giving glory to the devil. Well, brother, the devil's been chasing me and he's knocking at my back door and I'm just one step ahead of him. It's been a struggle. Think about how many times you've told somebody it's been a struggle. Did God call us to struggle? Or did he make us for more than struggle? Did God call us to suffer or did he make us victorious? Now, I'm not talking about naming, claiming, and blabbing, and grabbing. I'm not saying you got to stand up and call it what you want it to be. I know sometimes we have trials. I know sometimes we have difficulties. But I know one thing for sure. I shared in a funeral yesterday. I know that even though we trace, have faced trials uh, sometimes for a season, God gives us joy unspeakable and full of glory. I can't understand where it comes from. I don't know what, how it happens, but I know this. God made me to be his child. God made me to be victorious. God made me to be joyful. I'm tired of living less than what God has intended me to live. So I begin to look at this passage of Scripture. I began to look at this passage. Go to that next slide. The first thing that he says is therefore putting away lying. Therefore putting away lying. Put away the fake. You want to know why so many of us struggle in the church? Because somewhere down the road, we decided that church meant we needed to be fake. See, I know the people that made it today are the people that love me, so hang on. I'm shooting for a 3 my service today. We walk into the house of God and somewhere, instead of discipling believers, we've trained them. Tell you something, I'm sick and tired of training new believers. I want to disciple them. Well, pastor, what's the difference? We need to train them. No, the problem is when we train them, we teach them to be like we are. When we disciple them, we teach them to be like Christ is. When we train people, we teach. That's where you get the phrases, oh, well, you'll settle down in a few months. Oh, you'll calm down a little later. That. 
See, it's training that knocks the handshake out of the teenagers. Well, they'll grow out of that. It's training that knocks the prey through out of the church people. Because, well, after a while, you don't have to go to the altar that much. Discipleship tells us we need to get on our knees. Training tells us we need to become fake. Training tells us that when you walk in the door, you've got to put the smile on. Am I the only one in the house that has ever had a knockdown, drag out fight with your wife or your husband on the way to church? You just don't even know where God lives. Hello, sister. How are you doing? I got up a few weeks ago, getting ready to do the daily butt. And I had one of those mornings, nothing was going right. And I was like, I wasn't really mad. It just said, and I grabbed my phone. And I went, hello, welcome to the daily butt. We learn to put on a mask. Paul writing here and he says, listen, put away. I'm going to read this so I get it right. Therefore, put away lying about other people. It's not what it says. It says, therefore, put away lying. Can I tell you what a mask is? A mask is a lie about who you are. I would rather see some people come in Look a little frazzled. What's wrong? Well, you know that woman I married. (laughs) Or her to come in and say, you want to know what's wrong? Look at your pastor. That's what's wrong. But there's honesty there. And with honesty, we can find healing. But you know what the problem is? We have put the mask on so long. We have kept the fake so long that when we come into church, we can't go to an altar because if we go to an altar, somewhere we got to take the mask down and we don't want anybody to see where we're at. I've got news for you. If we're going to live up to what God has made us, if we're truly going to start living life, we've got to live it for real. And we need to be training people. You know how you train people to live for real? You know how do you disciple them to do that? You show them that you are real. We're never going to reach the next generation if we're not genuine. These church games that we play. Church games is why there's churches all around America that are closing their doors every day. Church games is why the churches survive until their core people die.
I say this with all the love and mercy I have. But we've sat around long enough touting people and saying how great they are to hold on to the church and lifting them up as heroes when the fact is they're the ones killing the church because they won't allow another generation to come in. It's about time that we start putting away the fake and understanding that we got to be genuine, genuine in our love for God, genuine in our search for him, and genuine in following after him. His commandment to us was go ye into all the world and make, the, make disciples of all people, not go into your church and sit there and don't let anybody change the music, don't let anybody change the color of the carpet, don't let anybody change the way you do service, don't let anybody change what you do. Let me tell you something, God has called us to be genuine in our faith and to let God live through us. He said, put away the fake. Go on there, Jennifer. He says, speak the truth. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. We belong to one another. You want to know how that we change? How that we start living life? We start being truthful. Do you not understand that the challenge raised against the church is not raised without merit? What do people say about the church? I don't want to go to church. There's a bunch of hypocrites there. Do you understand? We talk about how they, yeah, and I know all the things. We don't go to church because they're hypocrites, but we don't mind going to Walmart because they're hypocrites. I, I, I understand there are hypocrites at Walmart. There are hypocrites everywhere you go. I understand that. But do you understand that the reason why that creates a barrier is that there is merit there? We have gotten to a place that we don't speak the truth. Missouri is not quite a southern state, but we have a Midwestern mindset. Not quite as bad as the South, but we like to be polite. And our politeness is killing the church. We've quit pointing out sin. We've gotten to a place that half our society doesn't even believe hell exists. We got to a place where our society believes that everybody's going to make it. It'll be okay. So you don't need to be harsh and you don't need to be straight. You don't need, let me tell you something. I don't want you to be harsh, but I want you to be honest. We need to call sin, sin. Abortion is murder. Homosexuality is an abomination to God. Now, those are the two big talking points of our society. Now, let me follow up to that. Let me show you what love is and honesty is. Abortion is murder. 
But God forgives murder. And I may not like that you had an abortion, but I'm going to love you to the day I die. I'm going to reach out to you. I'm going to support you. Homosexuality is an abomination to God. It's demonic. But all through the Bible, Jesus drove out demon spirits. It's a sin. But God can forgive sin. And I'm going to love you. I'm going to show you by my love. Am I, I'm never going to tell you it's okay, but I'm always going to tell you that I love you. I'm never going to tell you it's all right, but I'm going to tell you you're welcome. You hear me? I am not going to run anybody out of the church. Whether they've had an abortion they struggle with homosexuality. Ooh, some of you about get lucky here because I ain't going to run you out if you're a known gossip. Ooh. Some of y'all better be saying, praise God, he ain't making me leave. I'm not going to run you out of church if you just have a bad attitude. God can fix an attitude. But I, neither am I going to get up here and say, well, now the gossip, that's just the way people are. It's okay. Neither am I going to get up here and say, well, that attitude that you have, God made you that way. No, he didn't. You let the devil get a hold of your mind. You see, we got to get to a place that we speak truth. I love you, but... I love you enough to tell you. See, I love my wife. When we were dating, I loved my wife, but I didn't love her as much as I do now. Because when we were dating, I loved my wife, and anytime she said, how does this look? It looked great. That looks awesome. But now I love her enough that she says, how does this look? I go, well, you've looked better. I love my wife enough now that when, when, when she says, how's my hair? I go, oh, did you lose the comb? <laughs> now, why do I tell her truth? Because the worst thing in the world is for me to tell her it's okay and her go out and be embarrassed because it wasn't okay. You know the old story. True friend is a friend that tells you you got a piece of spinach stuck on your teeth. Everybody, it's so funny. I said that people are, did not know so many of you had spinach for breakfast. We speak the truth. Now we can understand that and we know what it means to be friends enough to say, ooh. Ooh, can you get your money back from that haircut? But let me tell you something. God is, Paul is telling us here in the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit, to speak the truth to one another because we are one with one another. If I don't tell you the truth and you fall into sin, it's my fault. 
If I get up here and I preach happy-go-lucky sermons and I don't speak the truth in love, I'm not letting you live life. I'm letting you hide. But you were made for more. You were made for more. I got to move on. Go to that next slide. I don't know why I come up here. I can't do anything up here. It says, find peace. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Nor give place to the devil. It says, I want you to find peace. You know how many times we sat inside the church? And we create such turmoil that there is no peace in the house of God. If we can't find peace here, I know we ain't finding it at home. How do we find peace? We let the anger go away. You know how we do that? This is, this is going to blow your mind. This is how we do that. still don't understand everything. But can we talk? Can we get things right? Maybe you can help me grow. Maybe I can help you grow. But we're one. Oh, we can't do that, Pastor. You don't understand what they did. I don't care what they did. Or maybe it's not even there. Maybe it's just right here. God, I can't change them, but I can forgive them. And God, I need you to set me free of that forgiveness, of that hate, that unforgiveness. Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. How many of you know that when you first get angry is the best time to talk it out? If you let it go a week or two weeks or three weeks or a month, it becomes painful. Have you ever got a cut on your hand and you don't put anything on it? And if you're like me, it creates a little scab and that scab sticks up. Sometimes it itches. So you start. I've got one right here. From several weeks ago that I keep picking the scab off of. Thankfully, it's not gotten infected. But I've had them where I keep picking the scabs off. And they get redder. And then they hurt. And every time, oh. And I've had, I've had cuts that, that were so bad that my hands were almost unusable because they hurt so bad. Or a finger was to the place it would. Or a, or a toe. Stubbed my toe the other night. Hurt. Luckily, it didn't cut it or nothing, but it hurt. Got up in the the other day, and Milo, our dog, had chewed up a stick, and it stuck in the bottom of my foot. And I was like, ah! But if you don't take care of it, and it gets infected, 
I have diabetes. I have neuropathy. If I don't take care of that puncture in my foot, don't make sure that everything's out of it, don't make sure that there's no infection, no swelling, it could get to the place I could lose my foot. That's what happens in churches. Because people won't be honest enough to let to not let the sun go down their anger. If you go to somebody when it first happens, the pain is so much less. But if you let it fester, too many times it becomes an amputation. Either you have to go or they have to go. Find peace. Seek it out. If you're truly going to live life, if you're going to be understand that you were made for more, you got to find peace. You got to look for it. You got to be willing to go and talk to people in bad and hard situations. And always go with the help me, not let me help you. Always go taking the beam out of your eye. Then you can help take the speck out of their eye. It says find peace. Go on that next slide. It says don't give place to the devil. You know what's wrong with the church? We've lied enough. We've had enough mask. We've held enough grudges that we have given the devil a stronghold inside the house of God. We're coming to a place, and everybody says it. Everybody I talk to is talking about doing ministry outside the walls. And that's great. That's evangelism. That's reaching out. But part of that is we've created so many strongholds of the devil in the house that we have more freedom witnessing at Walmart than we do witnessing and worshiping in the house of God. We have given place to the devil. Now, that's in the church. What about your life? says, give no place to the devil. Oh, but it's okay. I'll let him have this part of it. He can have this part of the house. He can have this part of my uh, Let me tell you something. Please understand the humorous analogy that I'm giving, okay? I'm making a joke, but I want it to give you a picture. Jesus, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, they're big old boys. And there ain't room for them and anybody else in your house. Once they come in, there ain't room for nobody else. They're big boys. They're going to take up every square inch of your heart. Just to get them in. It's not going to, it's not. It's not as easy as you think it is. You have to evacuate everything else to make room for them. But our problem is we want to make room for them, but we want to give a place over here for the devil. We want to give a place over here. Well, I don't either. I just want a place for me. Guess what? You're the devil. You understand this world is God's or the devil's. And when we keep trying to make a place for other things other than God... We are not living up to what God has created us for. And therefore, we're not living life. Go on. 
Next verse says, let him who stole steal no more. But let him work with his hands. I'm going to tell you, the Holy Spirit's being mean today. Ain't me, it's the Holy Ghost. I'm not talking about people that sold a candy bar at the grocery store. That's a sin. Quit doing it. But I'm talking about people who walked in the house of God and tried to steal blessings. You don't pray. You don't read your Bible. You don't have commitment, but you walk in the house of God and you want God to bless you off of my prayer. You want God to bless you off of my study. You want God to give you a word because he gave me a word. Let me tell you something. My words are nothing compared to what God's words are. I've told people for years, you want my preaching to get better? Start reading the Bible. Because when you read the Bible and you start studying the Bible, you're going to walk in the house of God. And every time I preach, you're going to go, oh, I just read that. Oh, I just studied that. And God's going to give you a confirmation. He's going to confirm in your spirit what you've been praying about, what you've been reading, what you've been studying, what you've been doing. But our problem is 80% of our churches walk in here wanting to steal a blessing. They don't want to work with their own hands. They don't want to work with their own knees. They don't want to work with their own relationship. But they want the relationship of a few people in the church. We want to steal a service. I bet that you don't get calls from 40 or 50 people a week asking if they can come clean the church. They want to steal that from you. They want a clean church stolen from the person who will come do the work. Mm. We want our kids to have ministry. But we don't call Sister Marilyn and say, what can we do to help? We understand winter's been a hard time. We understand things are going to, what can I do? No, we don't call them. Well, I guess we just won't do anything. We're stealing. Got news for you. Until we, until we listen to this word, let him who stole steal no more. But let him work with his hands. I'm going to tell you, you get in the Word of God, you get on your knees and you start praying, you start seeking God, you start letting God be number one in your life, and you'll be amazed at what God tells you to do. God will tell you to do what needs to be done. I'm not saying that everybody's going to be called to help with the kids. I'm not saying everybody's going to be called to come help clean the church or to come shovel off the driveways. But I'm going to tell you, whatever's needed at the time, God will do it if you're obedient. I know I'm probably going long. I don't know what time it is, but I don't care. When, when I was 18 years old, living with my grandmother in Irving, Texas, many of you have heard the story, was scheduled to go to work at 2 o'clock that day. I worked at a place called Duration Lube over in Mesquite, Texas, the other side of Dallas. Got up that morning, took showers, getting dressed. Never forget it. I was, this is how, how vivid it is in my memory. memory. I was putting a blue T-shirt on in my bedroom. That's how much I remember of it. 
putting that teeth, pulling it down over my head. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, go apply for a job at Jiffy Lube. I said, God, I'm leaving in just a few weeks. I mean, a couple months, I'm going to college. Go apply for a job at Jiffy Lube. Put the shirt on, went and got in the car and drove to Jiffy Lube around the corner from where I lived. Asked for the manager. They told me just a moment. I sat down, heard some yelling, saw a guy walk out to his car and speed out of the parking lot. Walk in the manager's office and he was like, what can I do for you? Wonder if he had a job. He goes, matter of fact, I just fired a boy. When can you start? I was like, okay. That week was camp meeting in Texas, so I said, I can start Saturday. That was a Tuesday. I thought, man, I can go to camp meeting the rest of the week. Drove across that afternoon, went to my boss at Duration, said, young people don't do this, Corey. Turn your ears off. Went to, went to that boss, and I said, um, today's my last day. I didn't give him a notice. I, I gave him four hours. I'm, I'm done. Six o'clock. I'm, I'm out. I quit, and I went to camp meeting. Number one miracle happened. The manager there, of course, was a friend of mine. We talked a lot. He calls me on Thursday, and he said, listen, he said, today was payday. He said, we're working on getting checks, but we don't know what's going to happen. I said, what do you mean? He said, we all showed up to work this morning. Now, I quit on Tuesday night. They showed up to work Thursday morning. There were padlocks on the door. The company had went bankrupt and was gone. Everybody in the shop lost their job a day and a half after I quit. And I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Saturday, I go to work, and I meet Bob Secoy. Called him big guy. And began to build a friendship with him. Became one of his top employees. About two weeks in, me and him are sitting in the office together. He said, can I tell you a secret? I said, yeah. He said, "Um, you're here for a reason. I said, what do you mean? He goes, you're here because I prayed for you. I said, excuse me? He said, I'm a backslidden Pentecostal preacher. He said, I used to preach revivals. I used to travel all over the place preaching. He said, and I've gotten away from God, and, and trust me, he was away from God. Way away from God. He was out there. He said, but I started praying, God, I need to get things right. Can you send me somebody? He said, Tommy, within four hours of me praying that he would send me somebody that morning, he said, about 10 o'clock that morning, you walked into the office, and you applied for the job. And I asked you when you could start, and you said you could start Saturday because you wanted to go to church the rest of the week. And you told me you were a preacher. I began to live a life in front of him. Why? Because I worked for it. I became his number one salesperson because I wouldn't do it his way. He wanted us to cheat. I wouldn't cheat. He wanted us to lie. I wouldn't lie. And I was number one on the sales chart. Time goes on. We fast forward about four years. Me and Beth are now married. We're out of college. That happened just before I went to college. We go to a youth leaders retreat in Dallas. 
go to my mom and uh, my mom and dad's home church. Dad was preaching their homecoming that weekend. We go there to, for church, and I'm sitting down in the pew in the church that my family was saved in. The reason I have a, a heritage is because of the Irving Church of God. And I'm sitting there, and I look three seats up, and I went, that's big guy. To find out that in the last four years, he had not only gotten saved, God had led him to my family's home church. Let me tell you something. When you quit trying to steal it, and you start working for it, you get produce. You get results. You get fruit. There are no fruits from theft, but there's fruits from work. That verse finishes off by saying, let him work with his hands so that he can make what he needs to give to those in need. We can never go outside the door and reach the lost if everything we do when we come into the door is still the blessing. Go on that next slide. Let no corrupt words, but encouraging words come out of your mouth. The only thing I want to preach on this whole point is think about what you said in the last week. How many is how much has been corrupted? How much has been encouraging? Do people like to hear from you? Or do they go, oh, Do you lift people up or do you tear them down? You're not living life if your life is about tearing people down. You got to lift them up. Go to that next slide. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Brother Jack Dale always says context is king. And I'm afraid we've taken this out of context. We talk about not grieving the Holy Ghost. We got to follow it. We got, But we forget all the stuff that's written here. You know what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit? It means that you lie. You steal. Your language is corrupt. You're angry. Grieving the Holy Spirit is not living life. When we try to skirt what it means to live life for Jesus Christ, when we try to get around and make it easy to live for God, it's not easy to live for God. But when we try to shortcut, when we try to do it with lies and masks and covers and hypocrisy and theft and corruption and all the things that we've allowed to walk into our hearts, we have grieved the Holy Spirit. Been in a season this year. We're not even through. We're halfway through the month of February, and I've already, I've already done three funerals this year. One in my own family. One from a, a gentleman I, ne- I didn't even know, and then, of course, Troy. I've done three funerals. In this year of a hard winter, I've seen a lot of grief. Grieving is 
is a feeling of loss. When the Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, do not let the Holy Spirit feel that it has lost you. When we live life with mask on, the Holy Spirit has lost us. You see, I started this sermon, and I said, sometimes I get depressed. Because I see people that lay out. I see people that lose their passion. I see people that lose their fire. And it hurts me as a pastor, as a shepherd. But it grieves the Holy Spirit. I truly believe that the Spirit weeps. Over those that walk away. I know the father does. The Bible. In the story of the prodigal son. Says that the father let the son go. But that he said every day watching for him. He's got to come back sometime. And the Bible says when he came to himself. When he quit being insane. When he decided it was time to live again, he got out of the muck and the mire and the pig pen that he lived in and he went home. And he said, I'll just be a servant. But God jumped up, the father jumped up out of his seat and ran to meet him. I'll tell you something. When we say don't grieve the Holy Spirit, when you walk away, When you slip away, when you give the impression you don't care, praise God, I've got a marriage that is strong, as strong today as it was the day we got married. But I know some of you have been through some divorces. Some of you have been through the time when the spouse said, maybe it was an action. Maybe it was a a moral failure. Maybe they they walked out to somebody else. Maybe they just said, we just don't love you anymore. The grief of that time is the grief of the Holy Spirit. When we say, I don't want to be that committed. I, I I don't want that important. Just leave me alone. And the Spirit says, I'll leave you alone. But I'm going to weep for you. I'm going to weep for you. Go on, Jennifer. It says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. See, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And he said, now let me remind you how. Get rid of bitterness. Get rid of wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. Man, I read that list and I don't see what I see in the world. I see what I see in the church. We're bitter. 
We have wrath. We want to get even with people. We have anger. We cause clamor. We talk bad about people. It says, let, I want to read this. I'm not answering the phone right now. Forgot to mute that. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now, I can read that two ways. I can read that we put all that away the same way we put away malice. But then I also understand that sometimes with all malice means intentionally. On purpose. And it says then, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you on purpose. Intentionally. Now. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Not I'm going to work on it. Get rid of it now. Mm, I got to find something. Get rid of it. Looked around and everything I could find was breakable. <laughs> Thought about throwing the microphone. That would have given Anna a heart attack in South Carolina. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Our problem is we hear, read these. Well, I'm where, I'm trying. I'm better than I used to be. Don't be better than you used to be. You're still dead. Get rid of it now. Throw it out. With all malice, get rid of it. Go to that next verse. And be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another even as Christ forgave you. With all malice, on purpose, be kind. Tenderhearted. You know what would happen if the church truly got tenderhearted? We're not tenderhearted. You can't be tenderhearted and tell people they're sitting in your seat. That's not tenderhearted. You can't be tenderhearted and tell people this is the way we do it. We don't do something different. That's not tenderhearted. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Forgiving one another, even as God forgave you. Paul finishes this verse. And he says, forgiving one another, comma. I want you to forgive one another, but let me explain to you why and how. Even as God forgave you. Every one of you think back to where you were. Where you were. I'm, I'm reading a book right now. It's highly recommended. about four or five chapters into it. Called Love Like You've Never Been Hurt by Jensen Franklin. Phenomenal book. Incredible book. It'll mess you up. But he talks in, in, in chapter four. He talks about... The man that went into the king, the king found out he had a great debt. Ten million dollar debt. Actually it was more than that. I think it's a hundred million dollars. And he went in and he fell down and begged for mercy and the king 
had compassion. Forgave the debt and let him go. And as he left the king, he ran into another servant who owed him a fraction of what he owed the king. And he grabbed him by the neck. And he said, pay me. The man had the same response. Oh, please have mercy on me. I'll do the best I can. He says, no. He was having him thrown into prison till he could pay every penny. They take word back to the king of what he had done. The king called him in. The king said, after you've been forgiven much, you had no mercy for little. How many times do we forget what God has done? God has saved us. God has lifted us up from the miry pit and the miry clay. And we sit in church with our arms crossed, angry at somebody across the building because they didn't shake our hand. You don't know what they said to me. I don't know what they said to you, but I know what God said to you. And God said, you're forgiven. You don't know what they did. It doesn't matter what they did. I know what God did. God forgave you. And if God can forgive you of sin, you can forgive somebody else of a statement, a word, a look. All I've known people that got mad, stirred up commotions in churches because somebody looked at them wrong, and I am not exaggerating. Well, they gave me a look. Let me tell you something. That grieves the Holy Spirit. Because when we refuse to forgive, we tell God that his forgiveness is not powerful. I love what Jensen Franklin says. He says, I grew up in the church. He says, and I always thought that the only thing that we could do that was unforgivable was blaspheme of the Holy Spirit. He says, but now I understand the Bible clearly says that unforgiveness is unforgivable. As long as we don't forgive, God can't forgive us. As long as we don't forgive, God can't forgive us. It puts it in our camp. We have to forgive or we're grieving the Spirit. I want you to live life. You were made for more than what you're doing. You were made for more than how you're living. But you got to do the work. As we close this morning, there are some of you in this room that this message has spoken to your heart. You're stealing blessings. You've got anger. You've got unforgiveness. And you need to bring it to God. There are some of you here that have physical needs, financial needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs. God wants to meet those too. Here's what I want to do as we close this service. I want to ask Diane, if she would, to come and play. And I want to give you an opportunity to come. And, and as I pray, I want you to come to the front. I'm going to anoint you with oil. And I'm going to believe God. 
to move in your life, to heal what's wrong, and to help you quit grieving the Spirit.